We're going to head into a, a series today that's um, called Red Flags. It's a series on relationships, and it's going to be kind of broad stroke, but it'll, it'll delve into some particular relationships as well, marriage, family, over the course of the time here. Um, and I'm hoping that we can really help one another grow. I think if I can say a word for this here, it's going to be grow. Right, it's going to be to grow. I think there is a call to spiritual growth that we need to become aware of. There is a never-ending growth uh, call. The Bible says He's always calling us upward in Christ Jesus. That means that there is always more for us to understand of who we are in Him and uh, how to live that out. And, and, and the minute you stagnate, you kind of start getting frustrated by God because He wants you to keep moving. We, we handled that in our previous series called Unstuck. If you want to go in and, and, and get into that a little bit, you can download our app called OSC Connect, um, and then you will find some of the previous, you know, just messages we've been sharing if you kind of want to catch up what we're uh, getting headed into this year. But God really wants us to grow, and, and for us to grow, we really need relationships. Last week, we had a powerful life group sign up, and I want to just celebrate the fact that we had so many of you sign up for life groups. If you hadn't had the opportunity, wasn't here last week for some reason, um, please come to the tables after the service and do sign up for relationship. That's what you're signing up for. You're signing up for relationships that's going to help you grow in your relationship with God, with family, but also not just that, with the people outside of this house that still need Jesus. How many of you know that there's a bunch of people in this city, in this parish, that really need an encounter with the Savior? And it's our job to go out there and go and find them and continue the work that Jesus did, amen, to seek and save the lost. And so um, don't be sitting on your laurels. If there's somebody that you can reach out to, encourage this week, uh, you know, God needs you. You're the one that knows that person. So go ahead and reach out to that person. Invite a friend to, to church. Invite a friend to, to youth. However which way where you're involved, invite them to your life group. So <clears throat> please go ahead and, and sign up for that. I really believe that our life group's intention is to help facilitate spiritual growth. It's not just a place where we hang um, and, and maybe eat. It's, it's really a place where we delve into what it means to become spiritually mature sons and daughters of the Most High. And so um, that's, my, that's my kind of plug for life groups for now. I want to head into our relationship series. It's called Red Flags. How many of you uh, a while back uh, noticed that the red flag movement on social media? All right, so everything was a red flag, right? If something was just a little outside the, the, you know, the, 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 the borders of, of normality or something, somebody would be like, mm, that's a red flag, you know? Uh, he, he, you've been dating him for a year and, 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 and he still hasn't come to meet your family. Mm, red flag, <laughs> you know? <laughs> somebody, somebody came to you and said, did you know what that guy did? Mm, red flag. Everything was red flags, and then everybody started jumping on the bandwagon, and, and, and it disappeared. It's kind of like when it becomes viral, after a short while, it just goes away, which I'm kind of glad for, because, uh, you know, <clears throat> that can get really out of hand if you don't, if you don't be, be careful about it. But red flags are common warning signs, in it? Like when you, when you often in, in motor car races or something, when there's a red flag, you know, you know that, whoa, 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 there's something seriously happening, and I need to really be aware of what's going on right now. Um, uh, when you're at the beach, you know, and there's a red flag that says no swimming, you know, of course, if you're a surfer, that's the time you want to go in there because the waves are going to be good. But for the normal populace, that's the, that's the sign for you. You know, if you needed a sign from the Lord, this is your sign. Don't swim today. It's dangerous. You know, there's going to be a shark, especially if there are sharks. There's a red flag that says you don't, you don't want to be in there. Um, Proverbs 27 says this. It says, verse 12, a prudent person foresees danger and he takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And there's a fine line between becoming paranoid, you know, and trying to avoid every and all risk. Um, but a prudent person will truly recognize when something bad is about to happen, something is, is coming. Like if you're a parent and you start seeing certain patterns in your child, um, You'll be wise to act on it. You'll be wise to, to investigate, to step in there and to, um, to further a relationship, to see if you can do anything about that or, or must at least become aware of what your child is going through. Don't just assume that everything's going to play out. No, as parents, we're called to become irritating to our kids, to figure out. I, I say this so many times, I'll say it again. You are not called to be your child's best friend. You're called to be their parent. Now, when you are their parent, 
in their forming, for formative years, they will become your best friend when they're old. But when you try to mix the seasons and you switch the seasons and you try to go there too fast, you'll actually lose them as friends when they grow up. So don't bother. Don't be, don't be, um, don't be reluctant to cross, you know, wills with a child that is not being, that is not doing uh, and, and, and living according to what God's desire for them is. Um, you will save their life in doing so. Um, but yeah, so we need to foresee things. You know, if you see, if you see relationships uh, heading in the wrong direction, uh, if you see people starting to have certain patterns that, that, they, that they continually, you know, start doing, maybe start avoiding you, maybe start ignoring you. Th- those are all red flags that we need to know. Like if something is going on, I have to start. Our first response is always prayer. It's not our last resort. I need to start praying for this person, at least interceding um, for them in the presence of God. So um, red flags are kind of like these warning signs. And, and, and so <clears throat> we're going to look at some red flags in, in general in, in us when it comes to relationships. Okay? And some of them will allude to, you know, um, individual relationships with one another, um, men, women, boy, girl relationships. Others will just refer to general friendships, relationships. And, and the goal here is to help us to understand that, you know, we have to take, take certain steps within ourselves to be healthy so that we can perpetuate healthy relationships. All right. So I want to I wanna <laughs> ask you this. Have you ever walked into the middle of a, we're in a movie theater? In, in the middle of a movie, but not necessarily at the movie theater because you'll be thrown with popcorn. But at home, you walked in the middle of the movie and then you go like, okay, so wh- why is that happening? What's going on? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> everybody's always like, oh, no, I've got to get it. Pause. Let me catch you up. Like, you know, um, my wife and I, we, have, we, we, we watch certain series uh, programs on, on television. Well, I'd rather say I watch them. She lies and sleeps by me, right? But I am not allowed. I, I am not allowed to continue watching the next episode if she's not there because she's watching with me, right? Okay, so no, we've, we've kind of come to an agreement. We have, we have together series and then we have just like, you know, this one is just me. But unfortunately, what, what happens is the me series eventually becomes us series because she comes and sleeps next to me. And I don't understand it, but you know, it's some of those crosses that I just have to bear, I guess. Um, <laughs> But when she does wake up finally, I'm having to explain four episodes or something, you know? And I'm like, (sighs) exactly, really? (laughs) All right. We're going to start at the beginning of uh, the Bible today so we, you know, don't make the same mistake with us uh, us here. Uh, Not that it's always wrong to start in the middle, but today we're starting in the beginning, in Genesis. All right, so let's go there. Genesis 2. 22, 24, we're talking about relationships. Uh, the, 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 the biblical um, example here is about a relationship between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Um, and we're going to draw some, some principles out, there, out of that. In 22, 24, it says, uh, and The rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This was God's intention from the very beginning that we would be unashamed with one another in our relationships. Um, shame has become such an incredible um, you know, destro- destroyer of relationships. And so God always wanted there to be peace, joy, uh, and, 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 and no shame in our relationships. Um, and... <laughs> God's intention is for us to have healthy relationships that would lead to, if you have good relationships, they lead to fruit. Uh, you know, when it comes to marriage, they lead to children. When it comes to business partners, they lead to profit. When it comes to friendships, they lead to a lot of quality of life. The fruit of good friendships, good relationships are very desirable. And um, they are found within God's design, within God's pattern. Now, as we see and know from the Genesis story, this condition lasted about two chapters um and then it all changes right because because they stopped following god's pattern because they stopped following god's pattern let's listen to what genesis 3 verse 1 to 7 says 
It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Now, let me just, let me just say this off the bat. If you ever see a snake talking, that's a red flag, all right? In case y'all missed, missed it. But, I mean, that's a huge red flag right there. Okay, but well, let's just continue with you must not eat, well, God said, so, so this was God talking. I, I kind of jumped a gun there. But you must not eat from any tree in the garden, he said. The woman said to the serpent, um, sorry, sorry I, missed my, I missed my point there. The serpent was quoting God, quoting, misquoting God. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, uh, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to her, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, those three are categories of sin that are just repeated. Every sin falls in one of those three categories. Every temptation falls into one of those three categories. You're all uh, tempted by, uh, by by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. This whole ordeal is an incredible example of what happens when you follow the advice of this world, when you follow the advice of anything other source than God's word. If Adam and Eve had continued to just follow God's instruction, there would have been an incredible expansion on earth of God's pattern that he laid up in the garden. God's intention was through the relationship that he had with mankind, that the pattern he started in Eden would expand and, 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 and get into the whole world. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. God wanted his kingdom to expand his way and will to expand across the whole globe through the increase of humanity that remained in relationship with him and continue to follow his instruction. And if they did that and they would do that, the whole world would start looking like the Garden of Eden. It would have purpose, work. It would have value. It would, it, 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 there, would be, there would be peace. There would be no shame. It would be perfect. However, they did not think that that was a good idea. And so they went against God's instruction and they followed the instruction of a serpent that tricked them. And then they lost that beautiful thing. They lost the image of God. So the devil said to them, you will not die. And he was right. They didn't die, right? But something happened on the inside of them. They died spiritually and they were separated from God. And that's been the condition of every human being, being alive but dead spiritually. We're not half dead. We're not sick. We're not close to being you know, dead. We are dead spiritually, and we need a miracle to become alive again. We need a miracle that can solve the separation issue. The fundamental problem of mankind is not that we're, you know, um, uh, 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 we're, we're, we're victims of some ordeal, the fundamental problem of mankind is that we are separated from goodness. We are not good. And we need a miracle to fix that problem. And only God can do that miracle in our hearts. So, what happened when Adam and Eve decided to go against God? They essentially started producing after their own image. A fallen image. Everything they produced had something fallen about it. Now, it was half of it was like, okay, I, we still have the, the we we're still the creations of an amazing creator and he has given us ability. And so that's why humanity has been able to create some amazing things. But one thing, no matter how hard we try, 
is we cannot fix relationships unless we come back to God's original plan. We cannot fix our relationship with Him by any good works or any um, you know, uh, effort of our own. And if we don't understand the original way that He intended for this to go, we will not be able to fix relationships between us either. And that's going to be the conclusion today where I'm driving towards. We need to understand something about God's way to enable us to build healthy relationships with one another. So let's go into spotting the red flags in my life so that I can come to the understanding of what I need to see about God and His kingdom in order to help me, first and foremost, respond rightly to Him, and secondly, be able to have healthy relationships around me. So I'm going to call out some red flags right now, and you ask yourself, is this something that I have done, and so that I must take note of this flag? The first one is, when you look to something like work, like um, uh, your, your, or, or someone like your children, your spouse, your, your boss, uh, your friends, to get something that only God can give you, that's a red flag. When you start expecting a divine outcome from a fallen entity, you are bound to be highly disappointed. So that means that we have to rightly discern the, pers- the people that we are walking with, right? I have to realize that my wife is an incredible, incredible helpmeet, but she's a terrible, terrible God. I cannot find my identity and my security in my relationship with my wife. Uh, sometimes we, 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 we start expecting our spouses to provide for us security, and when they don't give it to us, we start blaming them for not being good enough spouses. Right? So if, if I'm going through a tough time, you know, um, emotionally, I expect my wife to support me. And if there's a moment that she's not in support of me, I'll go like, man, you're disrespecting me. You're just never there for me. Well, really, I should have never gotten that place of security back from her. It's not something that she's designed to be able to give me. I should walk back to my father and start receiving counsel from him, ministry from him, healing from him in order that I become a healthy individual in his, you know, by being defined by him. You cannot get something that only God can give you through your children, through your work, through your role, through what you're involved in, your workplace. You, you, you have to start understanding that, that that's a red flag and, and that'll lead only to disappointment. It'll lead to hurt. Um, in, in, in Matthew 6 verse 33, it says this, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything we need will be added to us. But we try to take shortcuts because we don't like God's timing. And so when God doesn't give us what we need in our timing, we start looking for that elsewhere. We start looking that f- for that from other things. And so our work becomes our idol. Our spouses become our idol. Our children become our idol. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a government. Christianity has a king, and it has a constitution. And Christianity is governed and led by a king and a governor. The governor is the Holy Spirit, and he enforces the rules of of the home country in a foreign country. He is calling us to become ambassadors of the home nation. If you start reading the Bible and you start seeing these terminologies, not as religious terminologies that they're not, but as actual governmental roles, you start realizing Christianity is not just a religion. It's a faith system. It's a, it's a system of belief that is, that is started through belief, carried on through belief, and, 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 and completed by belief. But it's, not a, it's, it's, a, it's a government system, which means that Jesus is the central figure of this religion because everything revolves around the word of the king, the decree of the king. 
And in so much as you follow the decree and the direction of the king, you are in good stead with the kingdom, the domain that his rule applies in. But the minute you um, track skiff, uh, that's what we say in my language, the minute you, 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 you start pulling, pulling in a different direction, you start getting resistance. Yeah. Not from the devil, but from God's principles. And so, as long as you are centered around Jesus, your life will develop into the kind of life and quality of life and outcome that Jesus intended and designed for it to have. But the more you start doing it your own way or the way of a deceiver's way, you will start finding yourself out of step. You know when you're dancing with somebody and y'all are not in the same rhythm? Your toes get stepped on the whole time. You, get, you maybe get dropped when you thought it was going to catch you, but there was no, 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 no arms to catch. Like, and the fights that ensue is just natural. The more we get Jesus back into the center of our existence and our lives become about his work and his kingdom, not about us trying to pull him into our kingdom to help us get done what we want done, the more your life will start making sense, the more the Bible will make sense, and the more the, the benefits of the kingdom becomes reality to your life. If you do not accept his leadership and his kingship in your life or his lordship in your life, it is like saying, I know a better way. The Bible calls that pride. And the Bible says that pride, the prideful are resisted. Resisted, why? Because God will not submit to you A king does not bow to a subject. And we are his subjects. And so we, our job is to figure out what his will is and then align ourselves to it. Not try and manipulate him, moan and groan and, 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 and you know, play the victim until he comes and, and says, oh, okay, okay. You know what? He does not respond to floor tantrums. He wants us to follow his house's rules. His house, his rules. We understand that, right? Come on, man. That's what we tell our kids. Well, stepping into the house of the Lord, how come we will now all of a sudden expect any different? His house, his rules. So Christianity is a, it's a government, it's a rulership. And if we manage our lives out of synchronization with it, it will be disorderly. Um, and, 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 and we will start wondering if this God is even real, if this God is even aware of me, if this God loves me. But, but the, the truth is that he loves you dearly. And that's why he's calling you back to under lordship. He's calling you to respond to his way because in his way, you will receive the incredible blessing of being in his kingdom. Right? That's his love. His love is his come unto me. Come follow me. He's not, he's not rejecting you, but he's rejecting your pride. And so as much as we bring our lives in, in alignment with his will, that's how we will produce the, 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 the product that he wants to produce through our lives. Um, now, we all have that desire to be loved and accepted. Okay? And... and, 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 and Sometimes some of you have felt that God is disappointing you. Let me just state this emphatically. God cannot disappoint. In so much as when he promised that he would do something, he would do it. But we hold God accountable on things that he never promised. We expect him to do things for us that he never committed to do in the first place. Let me say this. God has never promised to make you a millionaire. Never, ever, nowhere did he promise that. God has never promised that your actions won't lead to bad consequences. Never, ever has he promised that. God has never, ever promised that his grace to you will stop all bad things from happening to you. Never, ever promised that. 
So when you're experiencing bad things in life, it's of no use to try and hold God accountable for things that he never committed to doing in the first place. You see where it's going? God is faithful to his word. He said in his, in his word, I have elevated my word above even myself. In other words, the minute God says something, it becomes a law unto himself. The minute he makes a decree, he abides by it himself. He will never violate it. And so when God said, I will make you rulers of this world, I will give you dominion over this world, now he abides by it. So that if you make up your own dominion and your own domain where your rules count and your rules produces a product that you don't like, God says, that's on you. Now, if you humble yourself and if you call my name, I will step into your mess and I'll come bring order. But until you humble yourself and you accept my lordship, I'm going to let you have dominion. I'm going to let you rule. And so each of us have to get to that place where we're willing to submit our will unto his will. If we're going to expect his promises to become reality in our lives. God cannot disappoint. He cannot. But you shouldn't hold him accountable to things that he never committed to in the first place. And when you do, you definitely will have trouble. When you make anything else an idol, you definitely will have trouble. You know, humans are very clever. We think we know it all. And so we think we can find new ways of raising children that are better than God's ways of raising children, right? <laughs> and then our kids go off the rails and we like, God, why did you allow this to happen? I did not allow this to happen. You unfortunately allowed this to happen. Because your rule counted in the house, not my rule. So we have to just realize that, you know, when, when you expect anything else to give you what only God can give you, you will be disappointed. And it won't be God's doing. It will be our own. And if I can do one thing with, with our current Christian culture is to tell them to take responsibility of their own disobedience and to not blame God for things because it's become so it's become so culturally acceptable and it's become so almost like in vogue to go like you know what I was mad at God it is impossible to be righteously mad at God absolutely impossible because when you are there's a mistake of understanding on your side it simply is a fact God cannot disappoint. But when you come under his lordship and you keep doing the way he wants us to do to the best of your ability, and, and here's the thing, we're going to make mistakes even in that. And even our unforced errors, the things that we didn't intend on doing wrong but did do wrong, still leads to consequences. And that's just the nature of this world. But who defined the nature, who determined the nature of this world? Did God create it like this? No, he did not. We gave authority over this earth to the one that's destroying it. It's human. It's still, it's still something that we need to take responsibility for. See, even when it wasn't your direct mistake, even if somebody else perpetrated against you, it still falls in the lap of humanity to take responsibility for that. Here's the beauty of God as he steps into those moments and he says, I can work all things together for the good. For those who love me and are called according to whose purposes? My purposes. So it's when you, under, when you, uh, when you uh, respond to that calling, All right, I'm going to do things your way, God. I'm going to follow your purpose for my life that he is able to step in and create order. But when you don't allow the governor, the Holy Spirit to come in and direct and, uh, and guide, you're still trying to fix it yourself. It's a red flag. It's a red flag and it won't lead to the outcomes that you're hoping for. God wants us to make him our, our, our origin, our, our provider, and, and look only to him for the things that only he can give to us. 
the number one essential of healthy relationships is living a God-first life. It's living a God-first life. And we need to ask ourselves this question, is God really first in my life? You know, is he really first in my life? The second red flag is when you constantly cover up your own shame and mistakes. You know, in Genesis 3 verse 7, we see that they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. The, 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 the Hebrew word for coverings are they made, they made um, like, a, like, like a belt. It's, 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 it's not a covering like we would think this is. It's just a belt. In other words, it just covered the essentials. It's, it just covered, and, 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 and horrible at that. Because I, I, one thing I know about fig leaf pants is they're itchy. No doubt. So, when something is broken in our life, our tendency is to try and, and hide it until we can fix it ourselves. Right? We go like, okay, I'm going uh, to buy myself some time to get to fix this thing. And, and, and during me buying myself some time, I am literally avoiding everything and anybody. Because I know that there's something wrong and I feel shame for it, but my only solution is to it that I need to isolate myself and go and fix this. The problem is that <laughs> the minute you do that, you're actually minimizing the damage that was done. You think you can fix it, but you can't. We cannot fix ourselves. But we think we can. And so we go like, oh, you know what, I, I, I got this. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in control of this. You know, I can get this right or I can stop this when I want to. We tell ourselves. 40 years later, I still didn't want to. Right? If you always justifying your bad decisions, if you're always telling yourself you're in control, if you're always mad or indignant when you have to deal with consequences of your own bad decisions, that is a red flag. You're trying to fix yourself and it's never going to work. And you're going to grow more bitter, more mad, often at God, and it's not going to lead to anything good. Number three, when you run from God that rather than running to God, that's a red flag. In verse 8 to 10, it says, When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Before, Man was in a perfect relationship with God. There was no reason for him to hide. And so he would get all of his instructions from God. God would teach him how to make good decisions. And, and he would allow him to make decisions that was based on his design. God gave him work. And he would do it, but he would do it based on God's instruction. The problem is when we start running from God in this way, we start making decisions against God's design. We think we can, we can one-up God. Oh, I know how to handle this. And it's definitely not to go and talk to somebody. Oh, I know how to fix this. It's definitely not to bring accountability in. If you start making decisions for God about how your life should go, that's a red flag. If you start buying time until you figure it out, I said that, that's a red flag. See, the enemy will try and take something that you did and convince you that you have to stay away from God until you figure it out. That is the devil telling you how to become like God, how to gain the upper hand of your situation. Coming up with your own solutions that are Bible-based ideas. You see, the fig leaves they built themselves um, is, 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 is reference to it to say that they were insufficient coverings. They were literally like belts. And God wanted to do more for them in their situation, but he couldn't until they decided to actually go back to him and get his instruction on it. But can you see the amazing thing here about God? 
Do we think God did not know that they messed up? <clears throat> now, we, we know God knew that they had messed up. And yet, what does God do every single time that something goes wrong in our lives? Let me tell you our pattern. We sin, we hide. We sin, God seeks us out. Every single time. It doesn't matter how bad you've done, what you've done, you've got to know this truth. God is seeking you out. God wants to give you opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to say yes to him again and to let go of all these human plans that you have for yourself and to just ask God, what would you want me to do? How will you suggest I deal with my situation? The beautiful thing about um, scripture is that it's so pinpoint specific with its terminology. When we're introduced to God in the beginning of the, the story of, of creation, God introduces himself to us with his official title, Elohim. In the beginning, God created Elohim, the creator, the most high God. This is his official title. He's telling us, look, I'm creating everything. I'm outside of it. I'm not inside of it. I'm not affected by it. I am affecting it. But the crazy thing is when, when it says here that the Lord God came walking in the garden and calling to man, he's not coming in. And, and the Bible says it's Jehovah. Yahweh came walking in the garden. You know what Yahweh means? The God who saves. So God introduces himself to us as the most high God. The minute we mess up, guess who he shows up as? Your Savior. God's intention for showing up in your life is to save you, not to judge you. To help you, not to make you feel worse about what happened. Now, the Bible has this principle called the law of first mention. It's a, it's a way we interpret the Bible. It's a technique to make sure that we stay true to the original intention and meaning of Scripture. Which the, the, the law of first mention says the first time something is mentioned in Scripture, it's not just mentioned, it's also principle being laid down. It's also a, a fundamental principle being communicated that will never change throughout the rest of Scripture. If God chose to do something in a way in the beginning of Genesis, that means that he will follow that pattern with everything through the rest of our lives here on earth. So when he lays this pattern down, he introduces himself to us as the God of the universe, the most high God, the only true God. That is how he wants us to honor and to recognize him. But he also wants you to know the minute that you mess up, he's not going to come as judge. He's going to come to save. Any and everything that you feel that you've messed up in, God can save you out of it. He wants to save you out of it. But you've got to start running back to him. Lord, I'm in this situation. I'm bankrupt. Lord, I'm, I'm, I lost my wife. Lord, uh, you cannot isolate yourself till you figure it out. You figure it out by running to God and letting him step into your situation. Like that verse in Romans, it says, he makes all things work together for the good. But another translation says this, and I like it better. It says, in all things, he is working for the good. That means that he doesn't cause the destruction. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. It's not the origin of your mess. But he wants to step into it and start creating order out of chaos. Like he's done from the beginning. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Bible says the earth was void and darkness was over the face of the earth. It was chaotic. The original language says, the earth was a chaos ball. And it says, but the spirit of the, world, of the Lord hovered over the waters. It was like a hen brooding over its eggs, just waiting to birth something. And then he starts creating order out of chaos. He separates water from land, puts light in place, heat, cold, seasons, starts creating the earth to become a habitable planet for eventually the crown of his creation, you and I, to be able to have a sustainable life on it. It's a process, but if you will submit to him, he will create order 
out of your chaos. If you allow the Holy Spirit, the governor of his kingdom, to come into your life and start dictating how you do things, he will become, he will make order come out of your chaos. But you have to allow him in. And friends, it's not an easy process because we're laying down our crown at every, at every junction. It's not easy because we have become so used to fixing it ourselves, following our own way, living according to our own egos and pride and our own philosophical approaches to, to things. Well, this is how I do it. That's okay. If you want to do it your way, just be satisfied with your results. But if you're going to expect more, if you want to have what God intended for you to have, it's going to require that you lay down your crown and you come to him and ask, how would you want me to do this? How do I fix this? You see, the very presence that Adam and Eve needed to solve their problem, that's the presence that they were hiding from. If you're afraid of God, you're living in a lie. You don't need to be afraid of God. If you're scared to bring your situation to Him, it's because somebody has sold you a lie that it's going to be detrimental to your well-being if you come and open up about that to God. God's only intention ever is to help you, is to help you back into his plan for your life. And so the encouragement is run to God. See, the longer you, the longer you hide from God, the longer you prolong your, 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 your problem and your hurt. You know, the longer you prolong your season of suffering. So stop um, uh, 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 stop hurting yourself, really. Come to Jesus. And by the way, it's, it's the worst idea to play hide and seek with God. <laughs> the psalmist says, where can I hide from your love? <laughs> I can even go to hell and you're still there, right? God's love is actually reaching out to some of you right now. You know, you, you, you ask yourself, could this be the answer that I was looking for? Yeah, it is. It is. It's been in front of you the whole time, I know. It's, it's, it feels like, man, it's been hiding in plain sight. Yes, it's been hiding in plain sight. God is not some magician that hides and suddenly poofs and appears and make, you know, magic happens. No, no, no. He's just there all the time. The truth of him is there all the time. You just need to respond to it. You just need to say yes to it. The fourth thing I want to help, help us to understand is when, when, when you isolate yourself, you kind of try to fix yourself, but some of us try to blame other people for our, our issues. Right? When you blame others rather than taking ownership for your own mistakes, that becomes a red flag. When you elevate other people's dysfunction over your own, listen to me, friends, that's a red flag. If you judge others by what they did, but you judge your own actions by what you meant, that's a red flag. You can never understand what somebody meant until you actually had a conversation about them for their action. But what we do is we think that we can discern intention by action, by looking at the action. It's actually impossible. <laughs> the Bible says only the spirit of a man knows what's going on in the heart of a man. And sometimes we find it even hard to figure out our own intentions for what we did. Like, you know, <laughs> how much less are we going to know that's what you intended, that's what you meant by that action. So we cannot make this mistake. We cannot, uh, we cannot judge other people on their actions without considering that there is my, I might be misunderstanding their intention. But the minute you make that assumption, there's going to be it's going to be a relational breakdown, no doubt. Verse 11 and 13 says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, the woman you put me here, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And then he says, and I ate it, like, you know, low-key reality. Yes, I ate it, but that's not the issue here. She offered it to me. Like, what happened to the I ate it part? No, 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 we minimize the I ate it part, right? Because my intention was to do good. I didn't want to offend her by saying, I'm sorry, gal, you're going to hell on your own. Right? We don't want to have, so, so, so my intention was good, God. But she should never have offered that to me. In fact, she should have never ate it. This is, this is so, so normal. I mean, we do this every single day. We minimize our own actions. And we elevate other people's dysfunction. To make us feel better about our dysfunction. About our sin. We have to take responsibility of our own action. The I ate it part should have been what he started off with. Lord, I ate the fruit. Who told him not to eat the fruit? God, right? So whose instruction did he not follow? God's. What should have been, he has been focusing on? What the other person was doing? Or what he did? Naturally, that's what he should have been focusing on. But our, our um, uh, tendency is to try and, 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 and show ourselves in the best light that we can. And so we always try to minimize. Look, if the minute you catch yourself and you have to learn how to catch yourself this year, you're going to say something right now that's going to elevate the other person's dysfunction and minimize your own sin. You have to catch yourself and realize that's a red flag. You will not get order back in your life this way. This is not going to bring health to you. Then the Lord said to the woman, what did you do? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Everybody finds somebody to blame. Why? Because I can't be in the wrong here. I'm the victim here. Right? Take responsibility, take ownership of your own disobedience because that's where you fix the problem. I have to deal with what's wrong in me. I can't, I can't even if I was the victim of something, my response to disobey God is never justified by even victimhood. It isn't. Even if you were really, 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 um, you know, done in or, 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 or violated in, in, in any formal way. That is a tragedy, an absolute tragedy for which God, if you turn to him, will help you recover from. He will. If you turn to him. But if you try to fix it or deal with the situation in an earthly manner, it'll only lead to more destruction. You cannot fix a wrong by doing another wrong. This is not math. This is life. A negative and a negative don't make a positive. This is life. You got to respond to God like you ought to be responding to God to allow him into your situation and to bring order to your chaos, even if you were thrown into it unintentionally or against your will. But this is your solution. This is your salvation. This is your hope. This is your healing I'm talking about. This is your recovery. This is you getting black back from a, to a place of thriving in your heart and in your soul. That's the stakes that are at, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, that's what's at stake here. 
And that's why I'm so urgent about this. Nothing justifies you going against God's will. And here's the thing, is when you, when you go against God's will in response to somebody that went against God's will, now there's an issue because we want to fix that, what that guy did, but we also need to fix what you're doing. And here's what's going to happen if we come and want to try to fix what you're doing, you're going to think we don't think that, that what that guy did was bad. And you're going to feel unloved, you're going to feel uncared for, you're going to think that we're on that person's side, which we're not. We're just trying you to respond to Jesus right so that we can help you. But it leads to a complete mess if we don't follow God's pattern. Right? So the number one key in building big uh, healthy relationships, this is the one that I've been driving toward, is that understanding grace is the first step to having a healthy relationship. Because that's how we get into a healthy relationship with God, first and foremost. Here's the bad news. Everybody has red flags. Romans 3.23 says, Everyone has sinned and falls short of the glorious standard of God. Everyone has sinned. Even worse news is that Galatians 3.11 says, It's clear that no one can be made right by trying to obey the law. And code obeying the law is code for doing things your own way. Try with your own effort to fix you. No one can do that. But the good news, the great news, is that God did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Listen to what Genesis 3 says. It says, the Lord made them garments of skin. The word in the original language for garments isn't a belt. It's a, it's a full body covering. God clothed them properly. He covered their shame and their nakedness. Properly. Every part of it. You know when the Bible says in Christ you are clothed with righteousness. It means every and all sin that you've ever committed and will commit has been pardoned. You've been covered back up. There's no shame visible. There's no sin anymore. You've been forgiven. You've been made righteous. You've been covered. That's what God wants to do for you. He wants to take that mess and he wants to make order from it. He wants to create order from it. This is called grace. You did not deserve this. You did not deserve this. But God offers it for free because of his love. Because he is Yahweh. He is the God who saves So for Adam and Eve's shame and nakedness to be covered, something had to lose its life. God got the skin from somewhere, didn't he? God killed an animal, took the skin, and he sewed for them garments. Probably multiple animals. And like the law first mentioned says, there he laid a principle that was actually before already planned but acted in the physical world for the first time, that for there to be any forgiveness of sin, an innocent victim's blood has to flow as a sacrifice on behalf of the person who perpetuated. There had to be a scapegoat. The beauty of that is, is right throughout Scripture, you can see reference, they call it the scarlet thread of redemption. Reference is made to this principle. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Until the culmination of the Lamb of God that was really slain before the foundation of the earth, but enacted in particular time in our reality 2,020 years ago. Jesus came as the sacrifice, the scapegoat on your and my behalf. And he was slain, his blood was spilled so that you and I do not have to face the punishment of our own actions. He stepped into our reality because we could not fix ourselves through obedience to the law, making ourselves perfect according to his standard. And he came and did it on our behalf. And friends, the only thing that's required from you and I to have access to that amazing sacrifice, have access to that relationship with God, is that we will believe in what Jesus did for us sincerely, personal conviction, 
about that he did this for me. And if you will do that, the Bible says, then a miracle will be performed on your life. The separation that you could not fix yourself, a miracle takes place because of your faith and it reconciles you back with God. That relationship is reformed. And when that relationship gets reformed, you understand what grace means. And so he can teach his disciples to pray. Forgive me as I forgive those who violate me. You see where it all comes from? Grace. Understanding grace. If you've been forgiven. And that led to reconciliation. The only way we reconcile with people around us is through grace. Is through grace. Romans 8 verse 18 says, and and 21 says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation on everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So just as sin, verse 21, ruled over people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In our relationship series moving forward, we're going to head into particular topics, particular relationships. And, but here's the undergirding truth that, that, that cannot, if you, do, if, you, if, you, if you don't catch this one, none of the other things will help or work. It's all based on understanding that I have received grace. And because I have received grace, I can give grace. I can extend grace. And it's as I extend grace to others that relationship is healed, relationship is improved, relationship is built. And this can't happen until you put God first in your life. Because if you have anything else in place in that place, then that, what is in that place will have to provide for you the solution to your relationships. And we know that there's nobody else that can give us what we need other than God. So I want you to, to sit with me. Just sit, sit where you're at with me. And just, if you can, just open your hands like this. And just, just ask God right now to come and show you just, show you his grace. By helping you see what you were forgiven of. Especially if we've been Christians for long. You know, we, we forget that we were dead in our sin and on a one-way trip to hell. Especially if we've been growing and becoming more attuned to what the kingdom of God wants. We often make the mistake of looking back and going, I'm better than what I was not just better than what I was I'm better than those who were where I am where I was instead of looking back with grace the same grace that brought me here God show us your grace show us just the beauty of how you've carried us despite ourselves I want to ask you if you've if you've never made a commitment to to putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your forgiveness if you've never made that commitment if you've never really acknowledged that Jesus because of your sacrifice and because of only your sacrifice I can be forgiven and you would like to make that convict, that confession of faith today. You would like to declare here with us today that, that you believe that Jesus' sacrifice is what made you right with God. I want to invite you to raise up your hand as well. And raise it high so I can see it. This is the start. This is how you realize 
God needs to be first. As you make that commitment to putting him first by saying, Jesus, it's only through your sacrifice that I am saved. None of my own works, none of my own performance, none of my own family heritage, none of my, no church affiliation, no actions that I need to do as a result of what your word describes as Christian living, but purely because of the one thing your word declares, I believe in what you did on the cross for my, for my life. If that's you, if you want to make that confession, just raise your hand high so I can see it. Let's all pray. And I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart of hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And your sacrifice was enough to pay my penalty. That I might now be known as your child. That I might now be known as righteous. That I might be forgiven of everything I did in the past and of everything I'm gonna do in the future that be all covered by your blood. Lord, I give my heart to you and I commit to putting you first. I commit to receiving your governance, your, your order, your, your, your house, your rules as I continue to walk in your plan for my life. I commit to grow, to become more acquainted with you understanding your heart and your desire more deeply so that I might walk in it more accurately. Lord, I commit my life to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.